Hello, and welcome to the CEO Blind Spots Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Michael Fonderjay, the CEO of ASAP, which is a company that has almost quadrupled in size as it hired the best and as it delivered results that have literally saved their clients millions of dollars in the gas markets. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Birgit. Thanks for having me on the show. Actually, I should congratulate you on growth in USA podcast by 700 plus percent. So good for you. I hope I can live up to your standards. Well, thank you. And the most important standards to live up to are contributing to leaders. And I know you will do that because the founder of ASAP, Hans-Peter Fisser, told me, you know, I might be technically very confident, but I am not very good in leading people. And that's why I really wanted Michael to join a CEO because he's an amazing leader. And I heard that you've already started other companies and sold them and you've got experiences in multiple industries. So tell me, what do you think are one or two of your best practices as a leader? I think one of them might be that I'm stubborn. <laughs> and um, I actually will reach a goal that I've set for myself one way or the other. And, you know, that may sound a bit like tough talk. Uh, it actually isn't meant like that. I think it works best if you don't really play the tough guy, but you get the buy-in from the people around you that you need to reach your goals. So that's one of the things that I think gave me the edge on, on many occasions. Yeah. And you mentioned getting the buy-in of people. How do you do that? It's by showing them that you care for them, for the company, that you have thought well and good about the strategy that you want to pursue. If you're willing to listen to them and not just that, but actually take the parts that you think are, are useful and incorporate them into your strategy. So it becomes a buy-in situation where they recognize parts of themselves in, in what you are doing with the company. Is that how you were able to attract the best people in your industry? I hear it's very challenging to find technically competent people who are also team players. It's extremely challenging, uh, Birgit. Actually, that was the case nine years ago when I joined ASAP, and it's perhaps even more the case today. So uh, what we did, basically, we uh, we tried to find the best of the best in our network. And it was my role to inspire trust and confidence. Mm. Trust in what we were offering them was genuine. Confidence in that we would actually reach the goals that we were setting for ourselves. Because, you know, from their perspective, a small company with seven technical enthusiasts, why would this all of a sudden change into something bigger or different? And that's what I had to get across. And then, you know, what I used to say, everybody wants to join the winning team. Mm. If you get the one top guy and you get the second one, the others start thinking, hey, what's going on in that company? Obviously, they pay well, but apparently they have something to offer, some strategic, interesting goals, some opportunities for me to develop, you know, some way to apply my technical capabilities and, and make a difference. And the leeway to do it, the freedom to pursue what they want to pursue to a mm. certain extent. So that's how that ball got rolling. In the beginning, that was tough, but it's uh, gotten a lot easier with those accomplishments and those people on board. Yes, I can see how you would then quadruple your team because it sounds like they end up helping you attract other great team members and build that winning team, as you said. 
That's absolutely true. So actually, quite a lot of people that we attracted over the years since then have actually come from their networks. And they know the top guys. They have worked with them from you know renowned companies. And they were also maybe more convincing than I could have been mm. in getting them to come over and work for us. Hmm. I can see why Hans Peter said you were a great leader and also happened to know that after you sold one of your other companies, you took a little break and sailed around the world on a boat called Catch-22. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm curious what, what made you name it Catch-22? Well, first of all, I love the book by Joseph Heller. And the way that a catch-22 was described in that book made me think that, you know, I was in a bit of a catch-22 situation, or, or many of us are, where you work hard, you try to earn money to buy nice things, like a boat. Once you've got the boat, it costs you money to maintain and so on. So you're stuck in this catch-22 situation because you have to keep working to upkeep your boat, where you actually bought it to relax and enjoy it. Mm. So that was a bit of the idea behind it. I wanted to break through that Catch-22. I sold my company at the time, bought the smallest boat that literature said would be capable of crossing the ocean because I'd never sailed before in my life. Huh. Bought that boat and uh, asked my wife to marry me. We spent uh, two weeks stocking up the boat. We married in the marina and we took off for an 18-month honeymoon. Wow. You obviously knew how to lead through the seas and lead through <laughs> being cooped up in a boat. So, so then, of course, I have to ask, what made you then be interested in, in coming back and accepting the CEO position? Well, this may sound very strange, but both of us, actually, we got bored. Hmm. And it's quite nice to visit all these beautiful islands with uh, white palm beaches. But after 16 months of that, uh, even that gets uh, tiring. And uh, we, were, we were too young to hmm. get stuck in that life. Mm -hmm. So we came back uh, and we started up our careers again, and we haven't been sorry. Well, and I know ASAP is uh, lucky that you made that choice. So, you know, I hear all these successes, including you made that decision not ever having sailed before and you're alive. <laughs> so you mm -hmm. obviously figured things out. But yep. did you ever struggle as a leader? I still struggle as a leader. Mm -hmm. Several things that, you know, cause me issues mainly lie within myself one of which I call my firefighter syndrome, which is continuing to be like a blind spot to me. Hmm. Uh, it means that I'm always wanting to get everything done and out of the way before really focusing on, on the major stuff. Hmm. And I can explain better than anyone why this is not a good idea, but, you know, there you go. I, I still <laughs> fall into that trap. And maybe I, I've been thinking about maybe it's because it gives you the feeling that you're actually working hard, accomplishing a lot, you know, you're answering all these emails and talking to all these people on the phone, solving all those issues. Uh, and it makes you think you're doing good, right? But mm -hmm. Only I think that many issues magically sort of disappear if you don't even react at all hmm. or colleagues solve it for you because it's, uh, it's actually their job. And that's not what I'm, what I'm being paid for. So right now I'm, I'm in the next phase where I'm, working on so-called focus blocks again, you know, finance, strategy, HR, marketing, all that stuff that I'm responsible for. Mm -hmm. And that works very well. And of course, until the next time that I fall into that trap again, of course. And, and what was one of the moments when you realized, oh, this, this is becoming an issue as a leader? 
I compare it to being overweight. And being overweight slowly grows on you. And I speak from experience, by the way. Hmm. It slowly grows on you and you get fed up. You get fed up with yourself. And at a certain point in time, you've had enough. And you change course. You know, you watch your food, you do more exercise. And if you're lucky and able, you, you turn the boat around. And it's the same with this firefighter syndrome of mine. You know, you get, you get fed up when you go home after a hard day's work. And you still didn't do those one or two jobs that you've been telling yourself to do all along. And at a certain point in time, you've just had enough. And I block stuff in my Outlook agenda. I tell everybody not to disturb me. And I go for it. Or serves me quite a long time, but I'm only human. And when I'm in the office and people come into my office, I always, you know, get sucked into the daily business again. So I have to steer myself into the right course every now and again. And when was the last time, the, the actual moment when you realized, oh, I need to self-correct again? Were you sitting in the office? Was it you were so tired when you were at home? Do you remember that moment? Yeah, it was last week, actually. Uh, <laughs> I was going I was going home. I promised myself for three days I would do certain stuff because deadlines were coming up. Yeah. And every day, it's like doing homework at school in the old days, at least it was for me. You always shift it forward until you really have no leeway at all. You have to do it. So it's stressful. You still get it done, but it's not a nice way to, uh, to have to work. So the moment I actually caught myself again last week was when I was heading home, closing my laptop looking at my to-do list and saying to myself, okay, you've done it again. Enough is enough. Mm. So it's, it sounds like it's a, it's a game of constantly catching yourself um, and, uh, and hopefully catching yourself sooner the next time, right? Yeah, but you know, it's, it's also, the difficulty is it's also fun to run around and, and uh, interfere in all kinds of things, you know, put your five uh, cents in, uh, give your opinion, uh, mm. make your decision. I think that you're helping people make a decision where actually maybe you are interfering and you should let them do their own job. So um, it's it's a double-edged sword. And at the end of the day, I only hurt myself with it. Well, it sounds to me like it's a catch-22. <laughs> <So. laughs> you're absolutely right. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, uh, as we start to wrap up the show, I know you yourself have been through crisis and obviously other leaders have too, but is there another tip that, that you care to share about either how you made it through crisis or how other leaders could? I think that tips for, for handling a crisis may be defined by local culture. It will be quite different in the US than in, in, in Holland, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so the local culture and also the company culture, it may be quite different in a bank than in a metal workshop. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in Holland and in, in our company specifically, there's a certain need for respect for everyone's position and, and a certain democratic approach in a, how you handle a crisis. And everybody uh, wants to have their input. And I want everybody to give their input. And at the end of the day, as CEO, I have to stand in front of my colleagues and give them the bad news. And at that point, I think you cannot hesitate. You have to be extremely clear and stand by your decision. And of course, someone will always feel it's the wrong decision, but only time will tell. And we actually had a situation last year that did not really qualify as a crisis yet, but it might have become one in, let's say, six months if we had not acted. And 
many of our major customers at that time had basically shut down parts of their operations. That's in 2021. And orders were hard to come by. We had COVID. We had low energy prices. We had the uncertainty about energy transition. So nobody really knew what the future would bring. And um, I gathered the relevant information. We had a management team meeting. We spoke to a seasoned business friend of ours to see if we had any blind spots in our approach. And then we executed the plan. And that caused quite some pain on several levels. But within six months, we were completely back on track. Mm -hmm. So the, the main message for me was be clear, be concise, be rigorous in the, the hard decisions you have to make. And, and stick to the plan. Yeah. Well, and if people want to know more about your company, they can go to asap.nl. Thank you. Well, we're looking forward to, uh, to being in, in the Gulf area quite a lot. We are uh, working with uh, many renowned LNG producers in, in the area. And uh, fortunately, for, uh, for this year and the next years, we expect quite a, a big uptake in our portfolio for uh, LNG business, the vaporizers and samplers. And we're always interested in what other leaders bring to the table, how we can cooperate, partner up, or maybe even hire people from, from certain areas to expand and strengthen our business even further. I certainly appreciate you sharing the details of that. And I appreciate you continuing to contribute to others. It was a pleasure to share some of my points of view. I hope they may even be interesting or useful to some of your other listeners. I certainly found a lot of the other podcasts uh, quite uh, helpful and inspirational. Thank you for having me on the show, uh, Birgit. It was a pleasure.